We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is Oregon football what we thought they would be in the 2023 season? We're doing a midseason check-in on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast, your premier podcast for all things Oregon football and recruiting. Just in case you're new here, happy to have you along. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. It is Thursday, October 19th, 2023. We're just a couple days away from Oregon versus Washington State at home in Eugene on prime time. And we got a lot to get into in today's episode of the pod, but just to get you guys up to speed on a couple of things, just got back from my trip and I've been, you know, getting back after it on the podcasting side of things. Did uh, an in-depth breakdown on Aiden Breland, five-star defensive lineman, the newest Oregon commit. Give that one a check if you haven't already on my YouTube channel, on podcast, and talked about a top five class being back within reach for Oregon in the 2024 recruiting cycle. I'm scheduled to see Aiden Breland tonight, Thursday. Got Modern Day versus Orange Lutheran out here in Southern California, and Ducks Digest is bringing you on boots on the ground recruiting coverage as only we can. So, this is kind of going to be a fun episode. I wanted to do this earlier than now, but hey, better late than never. Uh, we're kind of still at that midway point for Oregon here in the 2023 season. Got a big game coming up against the Cougs and coming off of a, a, a pretty brutal loss to Washington. And when I say brutal, I don't mean it's because they didn't play well. Just, you know, that's a rival. Second loss to Washington under Dan Lanning. Third consecutive loss to a rival. You know, you can you can talk about it however you want to. It's not the greatest news for Oregon. But what I wanted to do in today's episode was, like I said, do a midseason check-in. Just talk about where Oregon is at with kind of and kind of compare that to where we thought they were going to be in the 2023 season. So we're going to go kind of position by position. And then we also have to talk about coaching. Dan Lanning's the the head of the Oregon program, and he is obviously someone that we have to evaluate particularly want to talk about some of the fourth down calls in that Washington game. I think a lot of people are chatting about that. 
So I want to weigh in and give you my two cents, give you my thoughts on Dan Landing as a head coach as he continues to evolve here in year two with the Ducks. Starting off, let's talk about that Oregon offense because it's the same, but it's also a little bit different. I think that Oregon's offense is to, in large part, what we thought that was going to be. We knew that this was an offense that returned Bo Nix, a veteran quarterback. When he makes his start on Saturday, I want to say it's going to be his 54th college start, which will be the most in college football. And Bo's been Bo. He's still been really good. I think there might have been a little bit of a question as far as the resurrection of his college career. How much of that was attributed last year to a reunion with Kenny Dillingham? And how is it going to change under new offensive coordinator, Will Stein, who comes over from UTSA? Well, we have that answer. Not a whole lot. Bo Nix, still really good. Oregon's offense, still really good. So I think there's plenty to be enthusiastic about from the offensive side of things, especially as it as it comes to as it pertains to Bo Nix through six games so far in 2023. He has completed 79.23% of his passes, 164 for 207, thrown for 1,796 yards and 17 touchdowns against one, one interception. Bo Nix has been lights out this year so far for Oregon. And I think that he's obviously going to draw some criticism from a, lo- a couple of those throws in that Washington game, most notably the one that he missed to Treshawn Holden down near the goal line. That's going to cause a, a lot of uh, angst. But overall, Bo Nix has been really, really good. And I think that part of the reason he's been good is, is because he's just played a lot of football. He has a good feel for the game, has a great chemistry with his teammates. You look at what Troy Franklin has been able to do offensively, He's closing in on becoming the first wide receiver since Dylan Mitchell in 2018 at Oregon that has caught, uh, that has passed a thousand receiving yards. Troy Franklin's tearing it up. That's far and away Bo Nix's favorite option. I think one thing that I'm a little bit surprised about this year with Bo Nix is that he really hasn't run that much. He has 26 carries for 101 rushing yards and just one touchdown on the ground. And that's not really something I was expecting to see from Knicks this year because last year he was about to break Marcus Mariota's single season rushing touchdown record. I think he tied it, but I don't believe that he broke it. So for whatever reason, Will Stein looks like he is leaning into Bo Nix as more of a true passer, which I think is going to be to his benefit, especially when you're looking at his trajectory to the NFL level. I think that's been one of the question marks around Bo Nix. It was one of the question marks, maybe still is, heading into the season. Excuse me. Is how good of a pure passer can Bo Nix be? We know he can get it done with his legs. We know he can throw on the run. But how is he when he's under pressure? How is he when he needs to stand in the pocket? And I think in large part, he's still been really good. Honestly, I didn't know he had completed almost 80% of his passes. Now that I look at the numbers, that is just crazy. But we knew this offense was going to start and end with Bo Nix. He's been a stud. Will Stein's offense has been pretty good. I think my only kind of qualm with it, what I haven't really liked, is a lot of the quick screen passes. I think that's kind of like a fourth down type of deal in terms of you like it when it works and you don't like it when it doesn't work. But I just feel like I've seen too many of the screen passes from this Oregon offense in kind of unnecessary situations. 
I know you want to feed the studs. You want to get your guys the ball in open space, but I think there's other ways to do it. You don't need to be overly reliant on the screens. I think we've also seen a lot of rollouts, QB rollouts. And I was talking to someone today about how if you're, if you're just dialing up a play specifically to roll out, you're kind of cutting off a decent portion of the field. And if you do that in the red zone, you're limiting Bonex's options even more. So again, kind of touch and go hot and cold on those kind of plays. But overall, I think you have to be really happy with where Oregon's offense is at so far through six games here in 2023. Still one of the most potent offensive attacks in the country. Uh, I think they have the leading rushing offense in the entire country, and that is certainly a big testament to this offensive staff, running backs coach Carlos Lachlan, and what the Ducks have been able to do from that standpoint, always been the team that has excelled at running the ball. And that has certainly continued here this season. Looking at some of the rankings, some of the numbers, Oregon has registered 201 carries for 1,330 yards so far this year, averaging 6.62 yards per carry. And they have 18 rushing touchdowns on the year. 221.7 rushing yards a game. So I think in large part, Oregon's identity on offense is still largely largely rooted, a little bit of a tongue twister there, still largely rooted in the run game. And I think that's a good thing. That's where we wanted this team to be. I think it's good for a team to root their identity um, in the run game, asserting yourself, taking it to the opponent, those are all things that come to mind for me when I'm looking at running the ball and what that means for Oregon. Um, let's see what else we can get into here. I want to stay on offense for a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the receivers, but we've kind of transitioned into a little bit of run talk. So, hey, let's uh, let's stay there talking about Oregon running the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. So right now I think Oregon's running attack is obviously incredibly potent. And the face of Oregon's run game is still in large part Bucky Irving, 72 carries for 520 yards and five touchdowns. Still very realistic for Bucky to hit a thousand yards on the year. Bucky Irving has been Bucky Irving. He's a stud. He runs hard. He's incredibly creative. He makes something out of nothing. He's super elusive. You love Bucky. But I think the interesting part about Oregon's run game this year so far is we're learning more about some of these other guys. And part of the reason for that is because Noah Whittington got hurt. Noah Whittington goes down in the Colorado game, ends up being a season ending injury for one of Oregon's stud running backs, a veteran guy played his first year of the ducks last year after coming over from Western Kentucky with Carlos Lachlan added 14 pounds of muscle to his five foot eight frame now weighs north of 200 pounds. So just sucks to see that break for Noah. Awesome guy, awesome uh, student athlete. And he really looked like he had a, a big season in store. But now that he's down, Jordan James is taking on a bigger role. And he already kind of was taking on a bigger role, even when Noah was healthy. A two-headed monster in the backfield in 2022 had become a three-headed monster in 2023. And I think that's because Jordan James had proven that he was a really good player and still is clearly a really good player. So I think that speaks to the confidence that the coaching staff has in his ability and the body of work is really speaking for itself. And I think that for most teams, when you lose a running back, the caliber of Noah Whittington, 
that's a significant blow. That hurts your offense. But for Oregon, they're lucky enough to have a really deep running back room. And and I mean this with, with no slight to Noah Whittington. It, it hasn't mattered a whole lot. Noah Whittington's a really good player. I love Noah Whittington, but Oregon's backfield is stacked. Jordan James is really good. So there's been virtually no drop-off, even though you just lost one of your best running backs for the entire season. So Jordan James has been great. 45 carries for 360 yards and eight touchdowns. And let's take a look at some of these numbers for Bucky and Jordan James. Bucky averaging 7.2 yards per carry. Jordan James, the number two back for Oregon, 1A1B, eight yards a carry. These guys are feasting this year on the ground for Oregon, and that is a huge reason why the Ducks have been able to operate so effectively, so efficiently, and put up a lot of points in a hurry through most of the games this year. Obviously, things tempered a little bit against Washington, but you still scored more than 30 points, and you're still looking really good as an overall offense. So I think that's been one of the big stories this year is just the I don't even want to say emergence of Jordan James because he already played a decent amount last year, but he's just solidifying himself again as one of the better backs in the Pac-12. And I think that maybe you see he has a little bit more room to grow receiving out of the backfield. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Sorry about that. Been a little bit under the weather since I got back. He still needs to grow a little bit out of the backfield, but he's solid. He's real, real good. And I think that... Maybe we need to temper expectations a little bit as far as seeing some of these younger running backs. Maybe they're not quite ready yet, but I don't think Oregon needs Dante Dowdell. Oregon doesn't need Jaden Lamar to see a lot of carries because Jordan James and Bucky Irving have proven that they can handle the workload just fine. Uh, Bucky Irving did register more than 20 carries, I want to say it was, against Washington, but I think he's proven that he can handle it, and, um, and, and they'll be just fine. I want to talk a little bit more about the offense, talk about some of the receivers, tight ends, and the offensive line too. Let's talk about the offensive line because we have not really talked a whole lot about the offensive line lately. And Oregon's offensive line has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I think that they have really surpassed some expectations that people might have had. I think you expected Oregon's offensive line to be good. Did, did you expect it to be this good? Did you expect Oregon's offensive line to only allow 19 sacks so far on the year? I mean, that number doesn't sound as good as I was maybe thinking it would in my head because I think the Ducks only allowed five last year, which is insane. But in large part, Bo Nix has been able to stay upright. He's been able to operate. He's been able to do his thing passing the ball. And when it comes time to run the ball, they're pretty good at asserting themselves that way. It was a little bit rough in the earlier part of the year, but I don't think that it's to the point where, man, you're looking at your team and you're like, wow, we really can't get things together to the line and we can't run the ball. We can't do this. We can't do that. It's, it's effective enough and they're playing at a high enough level where nothing's off the table from a playbook standpoint. And I think that's exactly where you want to be as an offense. So you got to give a tip to your cat, a tip of your cap to a leak Terry to Mike Cavanaugh, Cutter Leftwich, the rest of this Oregon offensive line staff, because Adrian Clem set that standard way up here. If you're Oregon, Oregon's offensive line. And I talked about how excited I was about the elite Terry hire when Lanny hired him away from the Minnesota Vikings. 
I, I had a lot of faith that he was going to be able to, to be a huge hire and an asset to this staff. And boy, has he ever, and not just on the field, we have to talk about maybe another time, but the, the value he's brought as a recruiter, Jaquan McRoy, Fox Crater, the, the list goes on of some talented guys that they've been able to bring in. You also have to talk about how they were able to keep those guys from the transfer portal. And um, Johnny Cornelius, who has played a lot of ball for them. Um, kind of interesting how Junior Angelau really hasn't played too much this year. I don't think I've seen much of Nishad Struther either. Um, but then you also have to talk about Poncho Laulaulu when you're mentioning this offensive line for Oregon. This group had a lot of returning starters. Steven Jones um, is one of them. Marcus Harper played a ton of ball for you last year. Jackson Powers Johnson played a ton of ball for you last year. And then in comes Iapani Laulaulu from Honolulu, true freshman, early enrollee. And we're seeing this guy on the field in meaningful snaps in important times. He's logged more than 20 snaps every game this year was just named a true freshman midseason All-American by 247 Sports, and he's been playing all over the line. Guard, center, maybe a little bit of tackle. I know he's been playing in that jumbo package, but Poncho has been a stud, and he just got to Oregon. So huge props to him. He has had a phenomenal season for the Ducks. The fact that he is playing as much as he is in the situations that he's playing in, displacing veteran guys, I think that just shows you that Oregon has another special guy Stephen Jones was talking earlier this week about how he kind of reminds him of Panay Sewell, which, as we know, is kind of the gold standard for Oregon offensive linemen. He is crushing it in the NFL right now with the Detroit Lions. So he's worth a shout out. And so is Jackson Powers Johnson. He was named a first team AP midseason All-American. He has led the team with 19 knockdowns this year, has a 90.0 pass blocking grade by PFF best in the country. If you're moving on from Alex Forsyth, who has been one of the best centers in recent memory for Oregon, I don't think you could have asked for a better situation here with Jackson Powers Johnson. He has lit it up. And when he had to go down for a little bit with the when he got banged up a little bit last week against Washington, who came in? Faope or not Faope, Iapani Pancho Laulaulu. So I think you're just getting contribute contributions up and down this group, an incredibly selfless group. Josh Connerly has been great. So that offensive line for Oregon is looking really nice. Just to wrap it up a little bit on the receivers and wrap up our offensive talk, I think Tez Johnson has proven to be a great addition. Um, looking at the numbers, it's been a little bit disproportionate. I think you have Troy Franklin obviously leading the way, 40 catches, 689 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. And then Tez Johnson, number two, 22 catches for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Gary Bryant at number three. 18 for 227 for two touchdowns. And then Treshawn Holden, 19 catches for 203 yards and three touchdowns. And then Terrence Ferguson, all the way down at 20 catches, 179 yards for one touchdown. And I say all the way because he was the number two guy on this team last year in receiving touchdowns. <coughs> Still a long way to go in the season, but I thought he was going to be much more involved than he was this year so far. And you see the numbers and you kind of see – Bo fixating on Troy Franklin, but I don't think that's a bad thing. He's doing that because Troy Franklin's open, because he's good, because he's dominating his one-on-ones. He always gets open five games this year with 100 or plus, 100 or more receiving yards. Dude's a beast. Um, and I think that all the receivers have been very complimentary of um, Troy Franklin. I think Gary Bryant having a big year is is something that I kind of expected. Maybe big is too, too uh, 
aggressive of a word to use, but I think that he's been a great piece for Oregon. Tez Johnson is just super shifty. Love what he brings to the table. And then Treshawn Holden, he's sticking around as well. Thought he'd be a bit more involved, but you know, it is what it is. And then last thing I'll have on the offense, Terrence Ferguson and Patrick Herbert have been a great duo. I think Patrick Herbert, his touchdown against Washington is a really good sign for things to come. I think he's a really underrated playmaker on this offense and you love his story and seeing him take that step in his game after battling injury for so long at Oregon. So Oregon's offense is, is great. They're doing their thing. They really are. Um, they ha are averaging 48.5 points per game. They're averaging 223.3 rushing yards a game. And then through the air, 331.67 yards. So I think that Oregon's offense is operating at an elite clip. And that's exactly what you expected from this group. So stay around. We'll stick around for some Oregon defensive talk after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you asking yourself, wow, is Max really drinking coffee uh, at 2.12 p.m.? Yes, I am. I love coffee. I can't get enough of it. And I feel like as a writer, you kind of have to live on it. But that's just me. Let's talk about the Oregon defense because that side of the ball had so many more question marks than the offense did heading into 2023. And so far, Oregon's defense looks good. I don't think it looks amazing. You could say it looks great at times. Last week, it, it kind of looked like what we expected it to look like. You just went against the best offense in the country, probably, in Washington. And Michael Penix got almost whatever he wanted, except for Jaleel Florence's interception. But this group had a lot of pressure, had a lot of question marks around it after last year. It wasn't a good group last year. Very middle of the road. Mediocre in many aspects. I think the pass rush is improved. If you want to start off with the positives, I think that's something that obviously looks a lot better. Sorry, I got a cough again, you guys. Hopefully getting that out of my system. But the sacks are there. 19 sacks so far. Oh, actually, I just realized Oregon's only allowed four sacks on offense. So... Sorry, I messed that one up. I'm looking at the sacks. Um, Oregon's offensive line has allowed four sacks all year. So that makes them look even better. Oregon's defense has gotten 
19 sacks, has recorded 19 sacks, has gotten even a word. Um, Oregon's defense has logged 19 sacks. They only got 18 last year. So I think that they are really on the upward trajectory. You love the depth along the defensive line, and you expected Oregon's defensive line to be really good. I think that you have guys like Jordan Birch, who comes over from South Carolina. I think I expected a little bit more out of him than we've seen, but I think he's still been good, still a very valuable piece. Brandon Dorless is a beast. We already knew that, but he continues to take his game to a next level. Uh, Popo Amavai has been solid. Casey Rogers, his big story was that fake punt against Colorado. Loved that. Love Casey Rogers. He's awesome. Um, Sam Taimani has looked a little bit more effective this year. Taki Taimani, I think he's been solid. And then really along the defensive front, I think the story you have to talk about is some of these true freshmen. Mateo Uyunglele has been great as a true freshman. He's a guy who enrolled early, and you kind of expected him to be pretty good. I don't know if you expected him to be this impactful this soon, but hey, here we are. That's basically one of your starters. I think anytime you have a true freshman pushing veteran guys for snaps, that's where you want to be. And then how about Tatum Tuyoti? Uh, a three-star recruit, incredibly underrated coming into Oregon, also an early enrollee guy, played at Sheldon after Oregon hired his dad, Tony, to coach the Dean line. He has been a stud. And I think the emergence of those guys, along with Blake Purchase, who wasn't an early enrollee and is already making an impact, I think that says a lot about him as a player, his work ethic, and the type of talent that he's going to be at Oregon. Not only does it show you that this defensive line is really good and can be even better this year. The more snaps these guys get together. I think it also makes you confident about Oregon's defensive line moving forward because there's a lot of guys that you're supposed to, that you're supposed to lose after this year on along that defensive line. And these guys are showing that it's in good hands. Mateo, he's going to be back. Obviously Blake purchase Tatum to They're all going to be back. I think that makes you really confident about, what this group can look like moving forward. I think that, <coughs> dang, sorry. Um, I think that maybe defending the run, you expected them to be a little bit more stout, but still pretty good. 101.5 yards per game. That's what the opponents are averaging against Oregon, 3.3 yards per carry. So I think they've still been a good team when it comes to defending the run. So that's great. you got to be stout at the point of attack. We know that's been a priority for Dan Lanning since he got hired. So I think you want a little bit more pressure than you've seen from the Ducks so far this year. I think it looks more consistent than it did last year. So you got to take the good with the bad. And I think that the pass rush has clearly grown. I still don't think it's as good as it can be because of the crazy talent that you have there. But they just ran into a really good team in Washington. And I think that there's going to be a lot of growth. There's going to be a lot of lessons learned from that Washington game because your schedule doesn't get a whole lot easier. It's easier this week against Washington State, but then you have Utah on the road in Salt Lake. That's never an easy game. You got Cal at home. Should be easy. Then you have USC at home, and that's probably going to be a tough game, <coughs> especially on defense when you're going against Caleb Williams. And some of the guys that Lincoln Riley has on that explosive offense. So we talked a little bit about the front line. Let's talk about the linebackers and then the next level, the secondary as well. Oregon's linebackers, in my mind, were a massive question mark 
heading into this year. That doesn't mean I thought they were going to be bad. That's not what I'm saying. I just didn't know what <clears throat> didn't know what to expect with that group. Jeff Bossa comes back. He's been okay as a linebacker up until this point in the season, but really lived in the weight room, put on a ton of weight, and he looks like a solid, solid linebacker, a reliable guy, someone you can really turn to. That pick six against Texas Tech, massive. How about Jamal Hill, too? Jamal Hill, another guy, lived in the weight room, put a ton of weight on, moved down from safety, and he has been a huge success story at linebacker for the Ducks. And I think that the depth of that room has really accelerated rapidly. And we still haven't even seen Justin Jacobs. The Iowa transfer has still not played, to my knowledge, unless I completely missed it in the Washington game. I still don't think he's made his debut, which is puzzling. But I think it's also a testament to how far along that linebacker room has come. The fact that they haven't necessarily needed him to get the job done. Could they have used him last week? Sure, but you don't want to throw throw a guy like that into the fire and have him make his Ducks debut against Washington on the road. But Devin Jackson has also been really good. Bryce Betcher has been a stud. Uh, did not expect him to be playing at the level that he is, and I think that you just have to be really confident with, with where this team is at from the linebacker spot. I think it was a question mark, like I mentioned, but I think it's honestly pretty sol- pretty solid. Um, and that's kind of what you you couldn't really ask for a whole lot more from that group. I like what they're doing. Connor Sewelli is also someone who's been in the mix there as well. And I think one of the biggest things that I love about this defense from a year ago, depth. The depth of this Oregon defense is continuously on display at every position, and we have to talk about it in the secondary. I think cornerback was another significant question that this Oregon defense had to answer before this year with Christian Gonzalez moving on to the NFL. I think you just didn't know. Um, you just didn't really know what to expect from this group. You had some guys who'd played a lot of ball, Dante Manning, Triquas Bridges. They both look improved. Maybe didn't look amazing against Washington, but not a lot of secondaries will. But those are starting caliber guys that you now have the luxury of bringing off the bench. And, Kyrie Jackson comes over from Alabama, took a little bit of time to settle in, but he looks like a dude. He's really good. And I think that he has kind of been the face of this cornerback room. And then Jaleel Florence, a true sophomore, another dude. He got an interception on Michael Penix. (coughs) I'm struggling. Oh, my God. (coughs) So sorry for all the coughing, you guys. Bear with me. We're almost done. He got an interception to Michael Penix, not something that a lot of people have been able to do this year. So being in the right spot at the right time speaks to his development, speaks to his skill, speaks to his football knowledge, football IQ, feel for the game. But he's looking like a really solid guy, and he's young. That's a really good sign for this Oregon secondary. And then behind those guys, you have Nico Reed, who kind of comes in at times when Oregon was battling some, some injuries last year at the spot at that spot at corner. You could bring in Kyrie Jackson. You could bring in, or you could bring in (coughs) Dante Manning. You could bring in Triquez Bridges, Nico Reed. So major tip of the cap to Demetrius Martin. And then also Dan Lanning and this coaching staff for building out that position, building out the depth in the secondary. 
still have some question marks at safety. Evan Williams has been pretty good for you, but man, he really missed that interception that he could have had against Penix late in that game. That would have sealed the deal. Was in the right spot at the wrong at the right time, but just lost sight of the ball. Couldn't track it. So man, that is definitely a tough break for the Ducks. But I think he's been a great addition. Tyshim Johnson seemed like he was playing more earlier on in the year. Now we've seen more of Steve Stevens with Brian Addison away from the program due to personal reasons. So that safety spot is is good, but I don't know if it's at the level it needs to be. I think that it has a lot of talent there, and I think there's a little bit more in the tank. But I'm confident that that group can continue to develop and really live up to the hype. So that's kind of what I have to say about this team and then talk a little bit about Dan Lanning as a head coach. Everyone wants to talk about the aggressive play calling that he's had the entire year. Just didn't come, didn't go his way against Washington. I think the only fourth down decision I would maybe change from that Washington game was taking the field goal before the half. You're getting the ball anyway coming out of the half. So take the points, get the momentum going into the game. But later on in the game, I guess I understand the fourth down attempts because Washington's offense was so good. It's like you just kind of got to give give them some props. Not that you don't have confidence in your defense, but they're probably going to move the ball either way. They're probably going to score either way. So I, I like the aggressive calls. I like. I think for Oregon, the aggressive play calling is a breath of fresh air compared to the ultra-conservative Mario Cristobal. And he's kind of said it himself. The fourth, the fourth down calls are going to be scrutinized when it doesn't work, and people are going to kind of praise him when it does work. So it's risky, but I kind of like it. It just is a bummer when it doesn't go their way sometimes. That's the way it works in college football. That's the way it works in football and in sports in general. You got to take risks, and you got to take risks to, to get the reward sometimes. So I think Dan Lanning is, is, is a very solid head coach. He's still clearly learning lessons. He's only in his second year as a head coach. He's doing it at the highest level, a top 10 program program in the Ducks. Tremendous recruiter. And um, he looks like he's going to be around Eugene for a while, right? That's what all the signs are pointing to. So I think that you can't let too much, can't make too much out of one loss. <clears throat> Everything the Ducks want is still in front of them. They can get back to the Pac-12 title game for a rematch possibly with Washington. USC looks more vulnerable every single week. And I don't think you think any less of Oregon after this loss. That's a talking point that I've heard from other media people. And I think that's true. That holds weight. So you have a really tough stretch of your schedule, but it's, it's winnable. I think Oregon's battle tested and they've played a lot of really good games. So it's set them up to have success down the stretch and get back to the Pac-12 title game. So really in summary, I think Oregon is, what we thought they would be in 2023. A lot of the questions that we had about Oregon have been answered. Will Stein, still a good offense for Oregon. Um, growth from year one to year two with Dan Lanning and Tosh LePoy on defense, yes. Is it the best? No. Is it improved? Definitely. And we can say that with confidence, but I think we can also say with confidence that there's still a lot of room to grow for this defense. Um, tackling's better, not as much of an issue. I think penalties are better in large part as a team. That's good. But I think you want to see more playmaking from the defense, more turnovers, more interceptions, more fumbles, more big hits, more chaos in the backfield, uh, more batted balls from the secondary. Things like that, I think, are really what's going to help. If you stack those on a week-to-week basis, you're going to be looking at a potentially elite defense. We've seen flashes of an elite defense at Oregon. 
but I don't think they've really put it together, at least not against a really good team. I think that's the next step for them. I didn't expect them to shut Washington out. That's a huge, huge order. But <coughs> Washington State, Cal, those are two opportunities to dominate. And then you're going to get another test on the road in Utah. So I think that that's kind of the next challenge I'm going to be looking forward to for Oregon. But you got to take care of your business against the Cougs this week. Well, that'll do it for me on this episode, you guys. Appreciate you rocking with me, tuning in however you're tuned in, podcast, YouTube. Love the support. Appreciate you guys tuning in and supporting my work. Important to lock in with me on all social media platforms, at Sports on Twitter, on Instagram. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Drop a like on the video and hit that notification bell because I come at you five days a week. And then if you want to support the channel, you can also share the show. Share the Duck's Dish podcast with your friends, with your family, whether they're Duck fans, and read all my stuff over on DucksDigest.com. Until next time, appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day to talk some duck football with me. Things might be heating up on the recruiting trail, so we'll keep an eye on that. But appreciate you guys, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Duck's Dish Podcast.